I think we look back on this period as being a complete waste. There was a, you know, a, a, a revolt of ordinary voters against the establishment. Uh, the establishment spent three years trying to stop it happening. When they finally gripped it uh, and gave us some hope, uh, in the end, we realized they never actually believed in it. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Welcome. I'm John Butler, Investment Director at South Bank Investment Research. Today, I'm standing in for Nick Hubble, my colleague, to bring you this edition of Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Welcome, Nigel. Thank you. So what's on your mind today? Well, above all, I think this week, uh, British politics, I believe this is the week that the Brexit dream died. Um, we had the 4,000 EU laws that were going to be scrapped, that Rishi Sunak promised he'd do. That's gone. We scrapped 600 laws, which even Lord Kerr, one of the architects of our membership of the European Union, described as defunct rules. So we're tied to the EU rule book, uh, much to the disappointment of many small and medium-sized businesses who were hoping that Brexit would give us that competitive edge. You know, add to that the recent 30% increase in corporation tax. And you realise, actually, far from Brexit making us more competitive, the British authorities and British government have made us even less competitive. Firstly, there was that. Secondly, next Thursday, we get the net migration figures. Now, Prior to Brexit, they were a third of a million, which really shocked people. And I think significantly contributed to that Brexit vote. The feeling we'd totally lost control of our borders, uh, the pressures on housing, on roads, on education, on, on health, excuse me, all of those things. And we're now told the next Thursday's figure could be between three quarters of a million and one million. It, it, it is a mind-blowing number. But what it really means, in economic terms, is we're going to go on relying on low-skilled, cheap labour coming into the country whilst 5.3 million people of working age are on out-of-work benefits. So we're going to carry on with that same failing model, perfectly clear from the Prime Minister. He has no intention of changing it whatsoever. And into that, here Starmer yesterday very clearly saying that if and when he becomes prime minister which by the way i think now looks virtually certain he will renegotiate our deal with the eu which means we won't rejoin the european union but we will align with single market rules so from the start of all of this nick hubble and i have said that we thought brexit was a fantastic opportunity for the uk to break out of a sclerotic overburdened eu model that had seen Europe basically falling behind America, falling behind the Far East, falling behind many parts even of South America in terms of R&D investment, uh, you, 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 you know, forward positive movement. And I'm afraid we are going to be stuck with that model for some years to come. The only good news is, as we're not members of the European Union, we can change that if we wish to. So that, for me, in economic terms, um, really dominates what's happened this week. I think it is profoundly disappointing, an absolute total failure from a party that had an 80-seat majority in 2019 and the world at their feet. Now, that doesn't mean 
that everything in the UK economy is going to be a disaster. But we're just not thinking ahead. I mean, we've got this commitment that there'll be no manufacture of internal combustion engines in Britain after 2030. It's all going to be electric. You know, we'd need to open 15 new lithium mines just for the UK electric car market. Funny, isn't it? All the Greens think 15 lithium mines are great, but to reopen one coal mine in the north of England to help our steel industry somehow is a disaster. Um, and you realise that that 2030 target would have to be pushed forward. We haven't built battery production. There's no real strategic industrial thinking going on in our country. So, yeah, for me, John, a, a, with all that I've fought for, um, a profoundly disappointing week. Well, it does seem like we've ended up in what you might call the worst of all possible worlds. We're neither in nor out. No one's in control. No one's in charge. Everyone's ducking their responsibility, the responsibility that in theory you would have expected an aspiring politician to seize uh, a historic opportunity to really make his or her mark. Yes, I think we look back on this period as being a complete waste. There was a, you know, a, a, a revolt of ordinary voters against the establishment. Uh, the establishment spent three years trying to stop it happening. When they finally gripped it uh, and gave us some hope, uh, in the end, we realized they never actually believed in it. And that, I think that's essentially the problem. That, yes, of course, Boris backed the Leave side. Michael Gove backed the Leave side belatedly. I mean, sort of, you know, five minutes to midnight. Um, but, but if you're going to make fundamental change in life, whatever it is, you actually have to believe in it. And sadly, they never, ever did. Well, that's, that's the feeling I, I get, is that this country, sadly seems to have somehow stopped believing in itself, which is yeah. shocking given the history, given the achievements. And indeed, you could argue that uh, we are not only letting down ourselves, but we're letting down many of our fellow Europeans who have supported their own country's government's efforts to renegotiate their relationships yes. with the EU. We're not the only ones who believe that the EU has become somewhat dysfunctional and that some renegotiation within the EU itself uh, has been gaining momentum alongside. Yes, I mean, only last weekend uh, we saw Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary, say, well, what's the EU even for these days? So there are countries that want to have a change, want to have a renegotiation of the balance of powers between a centralised Brussels and national democracy, and I'm afraid what we've done doesn't help. The other thing that's really interesting this week is we're very, very confused in London about what to do over cryptocurrencies. You know, the government of the Bank of England tells you it's the Wild West, they're valueless. Well, hey, what's fiat money um, if it's not valueless these days? But very interesting. What a strong statement this week saying that on cryptocurrencies, on blockchain currencies, that in future they should be treated as gambling instruments as opposed to investment instruments. Now, that's really interesting because Europe is going in the other direction and talking about regulating the market, and they'll probably over-regulate the market. But here's the interesting thing for investors to think about. I haven't got the answer, but if cryptocurrencies are gambling instruments and not investment instruments, I presume that means there's no taxation on profits. That's a really interesting one to watch for the future because, you know, I thought the whole point 
of bringing in some degree of regulation was so that governments could tax capital gains that are made. Of course, you know, you can lose too, but to tax capital gains that are made on cryptocurrencies. But hey, you know, if I have a bet on the 3.30 at Newmarket this afternoon and win a lot of money, I'm not subject to taxation. So that's one we're going to watch very carefully over the course of the next few months. It could become an arbitrage market in terms of where you buy and sell cryptocurrencies and what you're liable to in terms of tax liability. Got to watch that one very, very carefully. And of course, you know, we know that the Bank of England are hell-bent on CBDCs coming in from 2030, albeit in a limited form. Point of note, Japan this week have decided not to press ahead with CBDCs. So this whole area of, you know, increased state control over our money, over how we can spend it, and the alternatives, I mean, I, I personally think that crypto is a form of individual sovereignty. You know, so the government can't regulate, you know, how much money we spend on, you know, carbon uh, producing flights or whatever it may be. But if we're going to categorize it here as a gambling instrument, that might make it very attractive to some of our investors. Well, it might. And indeed, perhaps this country is going to be home to the crypto big bang, which if you think about it, again, I'm not, I'm, you, you don't have to take sides on this that for or against crypto. But look, I mean, we live in an age when we're expected to be allowed to choose our preferences, what, yeah. what sort of lifestyle we're going to live within reason, what we're going to purchase, what we're going to sell, where we're going to work. Uh, why, if we can choose all of these things, why can't we choose the money that we think best preserves its value and best serves our interests? Yeah, and I think, you know, the whole growth of the big state um, in every direction, the relentless push towards a cashless society, the understanding that government in, in a scenario like that can intervene in the most remarkable way. I mean, even with the existing system, just look at what the Canadian government did for the truckers who were protesting last year by closing down their bank accounts. I, I, I'm I, still very much of the view, you know, not all of these cryptocurrencies will survive. Most of them will go bust because that's always the way with any form of new technology. But I do think the idea that via blockchain, we can control our own money and the government can't meddle with how we spend it. I, I still think it's got an enormous future. And, you know, whenever I've said this on South Bank, you know, the Financial Times write an article, it's typical of Nigel Farage to say this, but I really genuinely think that there is a growing fear about the power of central government. Uh, and, and, and that is something that will not go away over the course of the next five or 10 years.